Hello and welcome to ID the Future. I'm Casey Luskin, broadcasting with Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in Seattle, Washington. Today we have on the show with us a guest who ID the Future listeners have heard before talking about many important scientific issues. His name is Dr. Wolf Eckhard Lonig, and he's a geneticist who recently retired from the Max Planck Institute for Plant Breeding Research in Germany. Dr. Loding is coming on the podcast today to talk to us about Mendel's laws of heredity and how they interacted with Darwin's ideas in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So, Dr. Lonick, thank you so much for coming on ID the Future today. Thank you very much for inviting and having me today. Well, I'd like to let you give a little introduction about the issue, and then I have some questions I'd like to ask. But is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners as an introduction to this issue of Mendel's laws and Darwin's ideas? So today we will speak about Mendel and why his discoveries were ignored for 35 and, in fact, even 72 years. And before we can talk about these different points... I would like to make a little statement that defending the Augustinian monk Gregor Mendel does not mean defending the Catholic Church for me. In fact, I'm a critic of her dogmas of history. However, I'm always trying to distinguish between the good qualities and scientific achievements of an individual on the one hand and his or her affiliations or perhaps to a perhaps uh, less recommendable religious or other organization. Just as many evolutionary biologists defending the work of Alexander Ivanovich Opari in the famous Russian Origin of Life researcher will not defend his Stalinist connections or the connections of Gould, Luantin, and the Nobel laureate Hermann Joseph Manner for their Marxist preferences. So it's just a statement that defending Mendel does not mean for me defending the Catholic Church. Well, now let's return to Mendel. Let's talk about Mendel's ideas. So, Dr. Lona, could you just very, very briefly list for us what were Mendel's laws? Well, the laws of uh, the Mendelian laws I explained in every textbook of biology. There are, of course, three. The law of uniformity, the second, the law of segregation, and the law of independent assortment. But I think we waste our time when we speak in detail about these three laws. I think that these things are so well known. It's already in high school they are talked about and taught that we should directly come into the question why these discoveries of Mendel were not accepted at their time. The law of uniformity, well, if you cross two lines, which are different in only one character, then as often as you like to do it, you will have the same result in the F1. F1 looks uniform. And then in the next generation, you have segregation. So that, for example, three to one or nine to three to three segregations occur so that the characters of the persons reappear. And the law of independent assortment shows that in case these genes are not linked, you can really recombine them almost indefinitely. And would you say, Dr. Lonig, that the Mendelian laws are still relevant for biology in general and for genetics in particular? Well, just have a look at the Internet, sites like the ONIM, that is online Mendelian inheritance in man, with at present more than 20,000 entries 
of John Hopkins Medicine and the National Institute of Health, the NIH. Or take Omia, the online Mendelian inheritance in animal of the University of Sydney with against thousands of entries. In the uh, internet site, citable by Nature Education, we read in 2014, our modern understanding of how traits may be inherited through generations come from the principles proposed by Gregor Mendel in 1865. Farlick's partner, Medical Dictionary, comments on the online inheritance in man the following, a standard, comprehensive, a regularly updated reference source for traits in humans that have been shown to be Mendelian or that are thought on reasonable grounds to be so. And I myself have found hundreds of typically Mendelian segregations in plants in the fields and greenhouses. I worked with Pisum like Mendel, the pea, but I also worked with Antirhinum, Mesopatis, and Physalis. And we found many examples of 3 to 1 and 9 to 3 to 3 to 1 segregation and others. Moreover, we have sequenced several of the induced mutant genes in my research group and thus could link phenotypes with genotypes. This is sometimes, even today, often a problem. And taking all of the world's genetic experiments together for the last 114 years, it must be hundreds of thousands of such segregations. Yet there are also ex exceptions, as you well know, Casey, one of which I have studied myself extensively in the case of seed color in peas. But for these exceptions and the many complications and limits of the wisdom DNA makes RNA, makes protein, makes us, I would like to refer the audience to your recent podcast with Dr. Richard Sternberg on the problem of the general definition of the gene, as well as to Dr. Jonathan Wells on biology is quite a revolution. Also on their comments and reviews on evolution news and views. Otherwise, we would come to many different topics. Well, I appreciate that very much, Dr. Lonig, and, and they certainly have done some great work explaining those topics. So another question why was the scientific world eagerly awaiting the discovery of the laws of heredity around 1865 when Mendel gave his two lectures and in 1866 when he published the results of his work? It's generally known Darwin's origin appeared in 1859. But this book was really imperfect, especially concerning the laws of heredity. In fact, there was really an embarrassing ignorance about the causal basis of heredity, as Gould once put it. So in the following years, almost everybody in biology was looking for this causal basis, the genetic laws of heredity, thought to be also the basis of evolution. And now, strangely enough, and from that point of view, totally unexpected, when Mendel talked about them in 1865 and published these laws in 1866, Hardly anybody paid real attention to these discoveries. And this, in the eyes of many, is still one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in the history of biology. Was Mendel's paper referred to or cited between 1866 and 1900 in the scientific literature when those laws were supposedly rediscovered in the year 1900? Intriguingly, his work was quoted at least 14 times before 1900, the year of its so-called rediscovery. 
There were references in such widely distributed works as Focke's Die Pflanzenmischlinge in 1881, the Encyclopedia Britannica, also in 1881, and the Catalogue of Scientific Papers of the Royal Society in 1879. The treatise of Mendel had been sent to the libraries of some 120 institutions, including the Royal and Linnean Society of Great Britain. Moreover, Mendel had 40 additional preprints at his disposal, many of which he sent to leading biologists in Europe. In fact, Professor Nissel in 1903 and 1906, emphasized that Mendel's work was, quote, well known at his time. So in the face of the expectations just mentioned, the question, of course, naturally arises, why was the discovery of the laws of heredity ignored by so many scientists for more than 35 years until 1900, and by the true Darwinians for another 35 years, that is, 72 years altogether. What were the answers about the non-acceptance of the laws of heredity that were given by some of the pioneers of genetics just after the year 1900? Well, I've checked most of the original literature. The reasons have been hinted at or clearly stated by, for example, the Vries 1901, Bates in 1904, 1909, 1924, Johansen 1909, 1926, as well as several historians of biology and biologists like Niesel and also later Richter. So the answer is this. Mendel's ideas on heredity and evolution were diametrically opposed to those of Darwin and his followers. Darwin believed in the inheritance of acquired characters. He was, in fact, a Lamarckian at that point and tried to back up his ideas with his pangenesis hypothesis which even the new Darwinian statements called an unfortunate anomaly. So we'll come to back to that point later. And most importantly, of course, continuous evolution. Mendel, in contrast, rejected both the inheritance of acquired characters as well as evolution. The laws discovered by him were understood to be the laws of constant elements for a great, one can even say enormous, variation, but finite variation. And that is not only for cultural varieties, but also for species in the wild. And this was stated by Mendel in his paper of 1866. In his short treatise, Experiments in Plant Hybridization, Mendel incessantly speaks of constant characters. These are all quotes. Constant characters, constant offspring, constant combinations, constant forms, constant law a constant species, etc. And in such combinations, the adjective constant occurs altogether, I've checked these things, occurs altogether 67 times in the relatively short German original paper. And Mendel was convinced that the laws of heredity he had discovered corroborated Gartner's conclusion, quote, that species are fixed with limits beyond which they cannot change. And as Sobchansky once put it, it is not a paradox to say that if someone should succeed in inventing a universally applicable static definition of species, he would cast serious doubts on the validity of the theory of evolution. Now, fact is that the Darwinians won the battle for the minds in the 19th century, and so there was no space left in the next decades for the acceptance of the true scientific laws of heredity, 
discovered by Mendel, and further genetic work was continued mainly by some Darwin critics, and Bateson stated in agreement with De Vries, Chan, Max Eisenach, Johansen, Nielsen, and others that, I quote, with a triumph of the evolutionary idea, curiosity as to the significance of specific differences was satisfied. The origin was published in 1859. During the following decade, while the new views were on trial, the experimental breeders continued their work. But before 1870, the field was practically abandoned. Evolution became the exercising ground of atheists. Darwin's achievement so far exceeded anything that was thought possible before. That what should have been hailed as a long-expected beginning was taken for the completed work. And Bateson continues saying, I well remember receiving from one of the most of my seniors the friendly warning that it was a waste of time to study variation, for, quote, Darwin had swept the field. Thus, the general acceptance of Darwin's theory of evolution and his ideas regarding variation and the inheritance of acquired characters are, in fact, in my view, and not only in my, but in many others, which I have just mentioned, the main reasons for the neglect of Mendel's work, which in clear opposition to Darwin pointed to an entirely different understanding of the questions involved. Okay, well, Dr. Lonig, I think we're running out of time for this first podcast, but this is really interesting to hear about how Darwinism actually hindered the acceptance of Mendel's laws of genetics. Stay tuned for more with Dr. Wolf Eckhard Lonig on ID the Future. I'm Casey Luskin. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute 2015. For more information, visit www.intelligentdesign.org or www.idthefuture.com.